You are listening to the CBA Podcast. Talk everything basketball. Club to AAU to high school to college. CBA Podcast is brought to you by Chapman Basketball Academy. Your hosts for the CBA Podcast are Terry Massey, Max Johansson, and Joe Chapman. All right, uh, today we have a special guest. Uh, played in the NBA for five seasons. Joe's teammate at Marquette, overseas in Italy for seven seasons. Um, Travis Diener, welcome. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, this is going to be a good a good podcast here. I mean, uh, we're just talking just off this, you know, his competitive drive. You know, we're just talking about uh, when he was at Marquette as a as a coach. And, you know, just going against the guys. And um, I hear stories all the time about how much they guys hated playing Trav when he was on the scout team. Uh, just because, like he said, you, you can do whatever the hell you want on the scout team. And you're just going after blood, really, <laughs> when you're on that scout team. So I, I can only imagine what those guys was going through every day. Was Coach Nelson uh, on the scouts? On, he was on the staff. Yeah, uh, did he play? No, not really. He'd get into some <laughs> drills, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like when uh, when we were in college and Coach Horn and Coach Stevens were actually <laughs> yeah, yeah. going through the drills. And they were still, both those guys were relatively young yeah. when, when they were on staff with us. And I was, I mean, at this point, I was only uh, 32, 33 years old, so I was still in, right. in good shape. I, was, I just come off a, a pretty good season overseas, so it wasn't like I was, you know, old and, and couldn't play and you know these college guys are are young and you know you know you know the wisdom that you gain throughout you know playing professionally and yep. uh, you play at your own pace and they just didn't understand that yet and i mean to be honest we weren't we weren't very good or we weren't very talented early on mm-hmm. in uh wojo's uh tenure just because of uh you know the coaching change guys had yep. left it was a whole new culture now so uh there's a lot of things but yeah i had the the ultimate green light, which is uh, <laughs> not good for really, them. Really easy. <laughs> Have you ever not had the green light? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, there's there's a green light, and then there's like a yellowish <laughs> green light. You know, with with at Marquette, I, I I mean, yeah, I had the green light, but it's still like you're still trying to play in the confines of of an offense, and you're a point guard, which is totally different. You're trying to get, you know, I, I naturally didn't want to score a lot. I think my last two seasons uh, at Marquette were, uh, you know, I was I was in a role that I needed to score for us to have our best chance of winning, which I don't think was, I don't think your point guard should be the guy that leads your team in shots. Um, so it wasn't the the structure of the roster. I just didn't think was right. I think Joe would agree with that. Yeah. Uh, naturally, I want to get my teammates involved. Uh, I think that's the point guard's job. So. Um, yeah, to answer your question, I had the green light, but did I really necessarily want it? Uh, I don't think so. Well, we wanted to give it to him. I mean, <laughs> we're going to dive into this. I've never seen uh, a six foot, six foot one white guy to do the things that this dude do. Um, to this day, I mean, we still play. We try to play. Uh, you know, probably like seven months out the year. Um, and just reading the book, and you know, obviously there was stuff in the book that. I'm, I knew majority of the book, uh, but just that competitive drive, that leadership, that uh, no lose mentality um, that started, you know, when, when did that start for you and how did that kind of, how did you hone that development knowing, you know, this is, there's <clears throat> nothing special about you. You know, like if you walk through the door and you see Travis, Dean, you don't think uh, NBA player, you don't think one of the best players to play at Marquette. You just, you know, you see a six foot one white guy. <laughs> so, uh, like, tell us about how that, you know, you you got to that point. Yeah, I mean, I think I think with everybody, it's uh, not just me, but I think it's this the environment you grow up in, mm-hmm. the situations you come across. Uh, obviously, everyone has their own story. You grew up a, a certain way. I grew up a certain way. For me, it was I grew up in a a, a, fair, a two parent household with sisters, and you know what really helped me was. I was always competing against older cousins mm-hmm. and I think, and, and my uncles. So I'd always be the youngest player on the court, the smallest player on the court. And it was hard. And I was, you know, naturally took blame for everything uh, <laughs> because that's the easiest way to explain. I mean, it's like if we play now, you know, it's easy to blame the worst guy in the court. Right. But, um, 
naturally it builds uh it built character it built uh how to deal with adversity which i think you know that's what basketball that's what sports is all about is is how you can how you can deal with adversity because it's always going to come um and naturally i think i just always played with a chip on my shoulder uh from that and uh my dad was was pretty hard on me um you know his his work ethic was something that I think I developed his his passion his loyalty uh so I think all all those things and and how I grew up uh kind of molded me into uh being this guy that uh just loved to compete uh, I loved the competition of it all I think you know if I go back and it even says in the book like I didn't really necessarily like uh you know, individuals, uh, where we weren't competing. I didn't like to go through a drill just to go through a drill. I right. always wanted, you know, a score on the, on the scoreboard <laughs> or some sort of competition. Even when I go out and shoot, uh, if I shoot by myself or if I shoot against somebody else, it's always yep. internally some sort of competition. Uh, so I think all that, uh, naturally just, uh, has made me who I am Yeah, for right or wrong. And you got so many different cousins and relatives that played the game and played at a high level um you know your sisters both played um and your cousins were unbelievable drew drake um just playing against those guys i mean they just got a um a will to win in that family that's just kind of unmatched and when you're around them you kind of feel that intensity kind of rise because they're all kind of feel the same way um you know, um, even, even, um, Rachel, when she's watching, you know, the games over the summer, you can feel her intensity is like, let's go. I, we need to win like every possession of every game. And, uh, you know, as a coach and as a teammate of his, and like you, you appreciate like the background of how people, um, kind of become who they become. So I think that's pretty cool. And then, um, you, you play multi-sport, uh, you play baseball. What, what got you into playing baseball? Uh, I started baseball when I was really young, loved it. Uh, even more so than basketball, uh, as I grew up, uh, I was, I think I was better at baseball through my, through my high school career. Um, I just think it was a release from basketball. Basketball was always a sport of, uh, of my family. Like you talked about my uncles, mm -hmm. uh, two uncles that are in the, uh, Wisconsin hall of fame as coaches. Mm -hmm. Uh, one of them who coached me in high school, older cousins, uh, Drew and Derek, Derek played at West Point, Drew mm -hmm. played at St. Louis. And then obviously you know, Drake who played at DePaul and then my two younger sisters who played division one, division two basketball. So uh, basketball is always a sport, but there's always that, you know, that was a 365 day deal. Right. I mean, there was every day there was, we were playing basketball. I mean, and I'm, I'm not exaggerating. It was literally Christmas morning. We go to, uncle would open up the school and we'd have Christmas runs. <laughs> so it was, it was every day. So b baseball is more of the, the release. It was yeah. my high school coach was really laid back. Yeah. Uh, it kind of got me away from basketball, so I, I enjoyed it. Um, and then I, I played football until I was 15, 14, 15 years old, too. So uh, I tell parents all the time, there's there's a time and a place maybe to, to pick a sport or two. But I think when you're young, you got to try everything. I think it yeah. builds uh, – first off, it, it builds something with teammates. Each sport is different. Baseball is, is probably more – it is a more individual sport. You're mm -hmm. based on, like, how you hit. Um, football's obviously got to be collective basketball, but if you play tennis or you play golf, I mean, that's an individual sport. So the mentality of it all is, is totally different. So I recommend parents to, to put your kids in everything. Um, at some point, maybe you have to pick a sport, but I don't, you know, I think the best athletes, the best players, no matter what, at the end of the day are going to be those, those players in high school. Um, so try it all. Um, and, and I, I would never want a kid to, I'll get worn out because you spent 15 years just playing basketball every single and, and part of me I'm telling you that's part of the reason I I probably retired uh the first time when I was 32 mm -hmm. is because I was emotionally and mentally just worn out by it all and, and I think it it was from you know my whole career mm -hmm. and uh, I just needed a break mm -hmm. yeah I was gonna <clears throat> ask you Joel earlier um both of you guys played high school went on to college how different is the process now compared to when you guys were in high school uh being recruited the recruiting process compared to when you guys did it getting into marquette to what kids are doing now with videos and you know calling coaches and stuff how is that process different now compared to when you guys did it yeah it's it's night and day i mean we uh we had more rankings that was 
privately done and like people will come and see us as opposed to us making videos ourselves. It was more so word of mouth and then, you know, coaches coming to actually see you play. I mean, it was so many coaches just coming to see you play as opposed to you reaching out to them to try to get on their radar a little bit. Um, but I think Trav can mention that more. I mean, he was on staff when things were starting to change, and you're part of what Marquette's doing now with NIL. Um, that's just totally different than when we played. Um, Travis played, you know, in the Peace Jam, which is one of the biggest um, AAU events that you can play in at the highest level. Um, so, you know, from those events, you get so many coaches coming and watch you play. Um, and and the recruiting process kind of takes off from there. So I got recruited by five to six different schools. Um, Marquette was one of them. Uh, but they they were – the first time I met Marquette was we were playing Richards uh, in the playoffs. And uh, we were playing against D-Wade. That was his senior year. So we, we were playing against each other. They were coming to see him. Um, and they caught hold of me. We played um, Kevin Menard. That year, too, he went to Lincoln Way. He was a fresh. He was a senior um, at Lincoln Way. So it was just different kind of mentality of how coaches kind of saw you back then. It was word of mouth. They were recruiting other players. They, you know, it it wasn't so so much how it is with videos and highlights and, uh, you know, how much money you're going to get from the school when you sign there. I mean, it's just a different era now. Yeah, I mean, Joe hits it. it it's just totally different in, in a lot of aspects I, I think nowadays uh you know these videos are are somewhat important but you know naturally a coach isn't going by a highlight video they're gonna have to see him in person at some point but yeah. uh, i think these high school kids are are behind because there's so many kids that are transferring uh mm-hmm. so there's a layer of when the recruiting starts and high school kids are kind of at the bottom of the totem pole now because first yeah. there's a million kids in the transfer portal so coaches are looking at those kids first then there's uh you know these kids that have extra years eligibility because of covid so mm-hmm. i think naturally these kids are these high school kids are are being under recruited because there's just not enough time for these coaches and these schools to see everybody so uh i think it'll it'll They'll get back to more normalized as this, you know, people fall off the COVID year because they're not mm-hmm. getting this extra year. Um, there's there's just not enough roster spots for high school kids right now um, or scholarships. Uh, so, um, but it's changed. Obviously, social media is huge uh, in, in today's game. I mean, Joe knows with, with AAU and what he tries to do for, for his kids. Um, and, 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 you know, part of me uh, hates it because that's not uh, – what I went through or Joel went through, but mm-hmm. I understand it's part of the day and age that, that we live in. But I think at the end of the day, the coaches are, you know, they might see a video and say, Oh God, this kid can, can play or uh, not even not a highlight, but maybe a, a game film and be like, okay, now I got to go see him in person yeah. uh, to see what he's about. And maybe see him in the spring or summer when he's playing against some, some higher level competition, just see what he's made of. Yeah. I think part of that too, is it's so spread out in AAU now too. You got six different tournaments, from six different brands and six different locations. So those college coaches have to pick and choose which one they want to go to, and they can't be everywhere at one time, where I think earlier it was very like everyone's at this spot. Everyone's in Vegas for this tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, like uh, the Peach Jam particularly, everyone is there. So I, it's more spread out. Everyone wants like, like their piece of the pie in terms of running a tournament and being the big one. So that's a big part of it too, I yep. think. Yeah. Uh, Marquette career has been documented with Joe and stuff, how you guys did there. Um, how was the process? Okay. You're very successful at Marquette to a uh, second round draft pick for Orlando magic. How does, how does that happen? Uh, it, it's not something you really, I ever really thought about, to be honest, when I was in, when I was growing up and never thought about uh, playing in the NBA. My only goal actually, when I was young was, was to play. Uh, I've said this before. It was to play for my uncle. I thought that was like the NBA. Like, found like had a, he had built this program. It was mm-hmm. one of the best programs in the state. So I was the water boy. Me and Drake were the water boys. We got to, you know, so it was like that. Those guys were like my idols. I didn't really watch. Uh, I watched Jordan. Uh, everyone watched Jordan, but I didn't really watch the Bucks. I uh, didn't go down to many Bucks games at all. Um, so I just wanted to play. Uh, for my uncle. Then as you get, go through your high school career and you start getting recruited, it's it's exciting. You say, wow, I can really, now I can, it starts, you know, probably the same with, with Joe. It starts with 
you know, lower level division one programs. And mm-hmm. then once you keep playing well on the, on this, uh, in high school, and then, you know, you get these opportunities to play AU against the best players in the, in the country and you're playing well, then, you know, the big schools come. And, uh, so then you get to Marquette and it's like, okay, I just want to have a, you know, I thought I'd have a, uh, a four-year career. I uh, didn't expect to have the career I had never expected to play in the NBA, but then you start working and you start uh, having success, uh, collectively and then individually. And then, you know, you're surrounded by people that really believe in you. Coach Green believed in uh, me probably more so than uh, anybody else, or maybe more so than I thought. He thought I could accomplish a lot bigger things than maybe I even thought of. Uh, <laughs> so he pushes the buttons. He's was really hard. I mean, I mean, Joe said a lot. And we all have. It was, uh, yeah. it wasn't the most uh, enjoyable experience right. at all. Uh, but, um, there, I think there was a, a purpose for it and mm-hmm. maybe there was, maybe there wasn't, but it worked out for, uh, not only me, if you look at that final four team or guys that stuck through Marquette, everyone is successful in their own route. Mm-hmm. So, um, it worked. Uh, and then, you know, I just, it, <laughs> I guess, you know, I, I put my name on a radar and then got drafted and, um, Joe was, was there, um, in just one of the most satisfying, satisfying moments of my life, uh, because you work so hard, uh, for something and to get drafted to play against the, you know, the best players in the world was, uh, I can't even say it was a dream come true cause I really never dreamt about it. <laughs> uh, but as I got older, I started thinking about it and, you know, I'm in college and you see, and you hear, and coach Green's like, well, you have a chance to do this, this, and this, you just gotta keep going. And then, uh, you know, it just becomes a reality. Oh, well, we, we got to go back a little bit. I, I think that was the most Miller lights I ever drank at that press box. And the f- funny thing is I didn't even drink that night. Cause I was so nervous. So nervous. Yeah. Know, he, was... he didn't even know, like he didn't have an idea if he was going to uh, get drafted. So he had the party without knowing like what the reality of this was going to be. I, I think you would have went higher if you didn't, um, I think it was your hand. Yeah, I broke my hand. You broke your hand. Um, and we were rolling, too. I, th- I think we lost one or two, maybe three games before he got hurt. Um, and, you know, like for us, um, I, t- I, I talked about this before, 90% of us who enter college, we're going to be different than what we were in high school. Um, and Travis had to go through that, too. I mean, his freshman year, he was uh, – I think you were a top 40 in your class, yeah. something like that. Mm-hmm. And he had a transitional period too. Like we all have to go through. Um, and that, that year you, you didn't start, you know, but you, most time you finished the game. Yeah. Um, but I don't think you started a lot. And that's, that's the time I was starting to watch more and see if I can, you know, play with that type of team. Um, but I just saw the transition of a top 40 player, that a lot of people know of. Now he's playing in a different role. You were playing more two guards. Yeah, you're yeah, playing next Cordell. To, yeah, yeah, you was playing next to Cordell Henry, um, who's a unbelievable fast player who just gets up and down, got floaters, threes. He was just, I mean, if he played in this era, I mean, yeah. he he was a special, really good player, uh, talent. Um, but yeah, even then, you know, um, just going back to the Marquette days is. Um, you dealt with adversity too. Um, at that same point, that freshman year, um, with your stepbrother passing away, mm-hmm. um, you were number ten that year. Then you yep. went to thirty four. Yeah, and I didn't know why. You know, the because I was still a senior at the time of high right. school, so it was more so. You know, that game of basketball helping you through the adversity period that you were going through. Um, I don't know. You know, if you want to speak on that part of it, um, your freshman year, the ups and downs of. Um, you're, you're big shot and, you know, and then you got to go back to being the lowest man on the, uh, on the, on the team and like working your way up and dealing with adversity that first month, first two months. Yeah. I mean, it was, yeah, it was probably the hardest period of my life. Uh, what, what I respect about coach Crean is, you know, I was, uh, you know, like you said, highly recruited, highly ranked, uh, but he never promised me anything. Mm-hmm. He said, you're going to come in. We have a, we we have a good point guard, an all conference type point guard. Our two guard is this kid sitting out. Yeah, he's, he's going to be really good, and that's Dwayne. Yeah. Um. So you're going to have to earn your minutes. You're not. And I respected that, and I, I've always liked the like I said before, I liked the competition. Uh, I didn't care about uh, starting or uh, you know, I just wanted to be on a program that had a chance to win. Mm-hmm. And I still ended up playing probably 25 minutes a game. Fin- like Joe said, finished most most games. Yeah. Um. But yeah, like you said, two months into 
or geez, probably a, a month into my freshman year, my yep. my my half brother passes away. So then you're going through a. Uh, the adversity that I yep. talked about that would kind of, I remember on my drive back with my parents coming back from the, the funeral and I was home for probably four or five days and mm-hmm. uh, I cried the whole way back because I didn't want to come back to school. I was like, I'm I'm done. I, I want to transfer back closer to home. I want to be around my family. Yep. And I just remember getting in the gym and being in practice and being in, in drills and, you know, you get to get away from it all. Mm-hmm. And then my uncle Tom, who coached at uh, Vincent and, uh, Cedarburg, Milwaukee, Hamilton, uh, probably the, I mean, probably the most decorated high school coach in the state, uh, would always come over and keep an eye on me and, and watch practice and make sure he was doing all right. So it was very, it was uh, awesome to have him around, but, you know, more so, you know, I have teammates and coaches that truly cared about me to, to help me through that, uh, that point in my life where it was very depressing at times, uh, but like I said, I think adversity brings out can bring out the best of you, or mm-hmm. it can bring out uh, the worst of you too. And I, I always thought I was uh, mentally strong enough to get through anything. But that was, you know, like you said, uh, and like I said, probably the the lowest point for sure, the lowest point of my life up to that up to mm-hmm. that up to that time. Yeah, and I I think you just as a program, you can just see like how they put their arms around you, um, and you kind of embrace it. And I think you got better after that. Like, <laughs> like you played better. You were, you were more, you know, that, that leadership quality that coach Kareem was trying to, to get out of all of us, you know, Travis really, he had it where, um, if, if he didn't get hurt, I don't think he would have went second round. I thought talent wise, leadership wise, he was probably the end of that first round is what they were probably projecting you um, that junior year. Um, so it was just like, you know, we, we tell these stories and how it relates to the kids that we have now is they, they need to understand that it's, it's so much that you deal with, that you go through that make you the person player, you know, father that you eventually going to be that, uh, you know, uh, having mentors and coaches help you get to that point, you know, really matters. Um, then you get drafted by the magic. Like I said, it was at the press box. No one knew I was about hammered about time. He got picked. <laughs> and, um, wait a while. <laughs> yeah. We had to wait a while. And uh, first time I had a Miller light was with Trav. I never had a beer in my life until I met this guy. We had a keg. I think one of those first weekends on campus. <laughs> like, damn, this is what a beer is. Um, but yeah. And he got drafted and went to the magic um, you know, tell tell us about that experience, like getting drafted, getting getting there, uh, you know, working your way back up again, playing minutes, not playing minutes. You know, how was that? You know, five year transition for you? Yeah, I mean, it's initially it's it's really surreal because you're playing against guys that uh, you idolized when you're in college or when you're in high school, and you know, my one of my first guy I met. Uh, was my favorite player in college was Steve Francis, who was a teammate. So I, I walk into the, the press conference and uh, he's the only player there because uh, it's, you know, it's in the middle of June. And yeah. Most guys are gone. Uh, so it was kind of just surreal to play with, to play with him because uh, I was a huge fan of his. Uh, Grant Hill was on the team, who was maybe the, the most professional player I played with in, mm-hmm. in my five years. And obviously everyone knows who he is. So, uh, but then you get on the court and you're playing against these guys. And it's like, you know, kind of like, holy shit. Like <laughs> I'm playing against, you know, LeBron James. Well, LeBron was young at that time, but at that time it was Iverson for me, mm-hmm. uh, Colby. Yep. Um, and it's just like, you know, it, it was, uh, it was really neat and cool. And then you have a little success and you're like, okay, I, I, I belong here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's kind of like the transition from, from high school to, to college. There's some anxiety about it. Do I really like, I don't care how good you are. It's it's a change. And for me, I was never, you know, this, uh, powerful, strong player. So the transition was always going to be a little different because mm-hmm. I wasn't gonna be able to overwhelm people with my physicality. So it's, you know, with your intelligence, with, with your skill level, um, and then you have some success and, and it becomes a little easier that the game slows down. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had, I had some success and it was fun. And, uh, you know, I, you know, after five years, it was time for me to make a decision on, do I want to stay in the NBA for, for five more years and maybe be a, you know, 10th, 11th man. Mm-hmm. And, and that was fine. I mean, I was really realistic with who I was as a player. I knew I was never going to be a, 
you know, an NBA starting point guard, or do I want to go to overseas in a high level league and, and have a, a huge role? And, you know, that's what led me to, to Italy. And in Italy, what, what made you choose Italy over other places? Was it family from Rome? It was, I, I want, it was either Italy or Spain. I think for, first off for the league, uh, I knew, and you know, you've been over there, Spain and mm-hmm. Spain and still is the, the top league, mm-hmm. uh, foreign, uh, and then Italy's, you know, probably in the top three or four and mm-hmm. at the time it was probably, probably neck top neck. three. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had offers from, you know, other countries, Russia, I knew I never wanted to, to go to Russia <laughs> to play. Um, so it came down to, is there a team in Italy or Spain that, that would be interested in the team that, uh, was extremely interested was, uh, a team that the coach had coached Drake over there and Drake's like, you got to go play for this guy. He's the perfect guy for you. And, uh, I was sold then if, you know, obviously, uh, extremely close with Drake and respect his, uh, opinion on mm-hmm. pretty much anything. Uh, so he told me to go play for this coach and I ended up playing for the coach for all seven years of, of my career over there, which is totally not normal. Right. Uh, but he was a guy that gave me the all, no, he gave me the ultimate green light, <laughs> uh, but a lot of freedom to, to be who I am. And I, I think I'm at my best when I have a relationship with the head coach, mm-hmm. when, when he trusts me to, to be the, the leader and, and to, to do things how I feel would benefit, you know, my teammates. So, uh, Italy was uh, an incredible seven years of my life, and and did you um, you you played in Olympics there? The or, no, or the the European, European Championships. Yeah, European. yeah. So I, what was that feeling like? Because those those crowds and those arenas are crazy, you know, around their sports, at, particularly during the European Championships and stuff like that. So tell us like how the crowd was, like the environment is so much different than you see here. Yeah, I mean it was uh I got my pa- my Italian passport through my wife uh whose whose parents were both born in Italy so um got my Italian passport and what that meant is I could play in the uh that you, summer you have which, dual citizenship dual citizenship so that what that meant for that summer when I got it was I could well, ultimately I could could have played in the Olympics or the World Championships but that summer yep. it would end up being cuz they it staggered it mm-hmm. was the European Championships which were held in Slovenia which is like uh you know, that's where Luca's from. That's mm-hmm. Goran Dragic. But, you know, you get you get a chance to, you know, you get all these, I think there's, I want to say there's 16 countries in the European Championships. And, you know, you get them, all the, all the fans come from the, the countries and uh, you're playing these arenas that aren't, you know, it's not 20,000, but it's 10, 15,000. It's mm-hmm. flags all over the place. And uh, for me, it was different because, you know, I wasn't, you know, I'm American, but uh, I kind of, implemented in this Italian culture and mm-hmm. took a lot of pride in it, had some success. Uh, but you play against all these foreign, uh, and now they're in the NBA and you just see all the, the, the international flavor that's in the NBA, I think is just going to continue to grow. Yeah. But uh, even back then you're playing against all these guys that are now in the NBA. And uh, it was a really just a, a unique and different experience for me because I never thought that that would ever happen. Yeah. And how many championships did you win over there? I won. Uh, I won uh, two Italian cups. Two Italian cups. Yeah. I mean, that's. I mean, that's one of the best things you can do there. Um, that's that's a special time period, and your kids were born there. You have anybody yep. whatever was born uh, there? Kareem, well, my first one was. Uh, we were pregnant over there. She flew back and had the baby here. Our second one was born in Italy. And then <laughs> Luca was born when I was on staff at Marquette. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, they got a chance to you know kind of like grow up in Italy and learn the language and the culture. And, uh, those are moments. I mean, that stuff you never thought of when you were young. Like I never thought I'd leave, you know, Fond du Lac and then you're traveling right. across the, the world playing basketball. I don't know how many, uh, countries I've actually played basketball in, but it's in the probably 15 to 20 different countries that I've got to play basketball in or travel to. And, yeah. uh, it's just unique to see the different cultures, to see different people, um, you know, and, and naturally be uh, accepted by uh, different types of people is what basketball is all about. Like, you know, you look at the demographic or, you know, how I grew up to how Joe, you grew up or mm-hmm. how Steve or Dwayne, it's, we're so different on uh, how we grew up, but common thing, the common theme is, you know, basketball brings you together and then you form these relationships with teammates and bonds because you go through so much adversity 
mm-hmm. uh, especially in college, with naturally we didn't like uh, Green very much at all. So we <laughs> became <laughs> really close. And then yeah. when you have success, that's just magnifying how tight the brotherhood really is. If mm-hmm. if we would have been shitty, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Joe and I probably wouldn't even be friends or anything. <laughs> right, right, right. But I mean, I mean, like I had some, you know, you're closest with the teams that you know you win with. It just yeah. what it is. I mean. It, go to the NBA and you see these teams. I, I was on I was on shitty teams in the NBA and we weren't close. And mm-hmm. I guarantee the teams that win championships, they're they're close. It's mm-hmm. it's no secret. It's not you know, teams that are connected and yep. tight, they win. So yep. it's pretty easy. You kind of mentioned as you were going along coaching wise, like what what was your favorite style to play for? Who what coaches got the best out of you? Like seemed like Crean was completely different than the Italian coach you had. Like, did you prefer one? What was like the best fit for you? Do you think? Well, yeah, I, I, I preferred the, I would prefer the professional one, but that's, I'm a professional too. Yeah. I, I'm, I know better. I know who I am. Uh, what I needed in college was Crean. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, uh, you know, he brought out the absolute best of me and, and it has a huge role more so than maybe anybody in in how I developed as a player. So it's it's two different styles of coaching. Uh I don't think you can treat uh, treats maybe a strong word. You can't coach the way that Korean coached at the professional level cuz mm-hmm. I mean we're I'm a grown man. I yeah. have kids. I, I mean I've been through it all. Uh but when I'm 18, 19, 20, like yeah, you can tell me certain things. I I have to accept it. I can I can transfer. A lot of kids do and did. Um, or I can look myself in the mirror and say, yeah, I did make, I made mistakes when I was younger. I, I wasn't, uh, uh, my leadership grew as I got older. I was very hard on my, myself. I was very hard on my teammates, but I think, uh, they all knew it was coming from a place of, of, uh, you could say love or competitiveness that, mm-hmm. you know, we wanted to win, but you know, you grow in everything, but, both styles were extremely beneficial for me. We uh we've had a couple of conversations on here how COVID has affected some of the players during that time. You're actually in a country at the time that's probably decimated more than any other country in this world. Um, I I just read an article on the way here, just trying to come up with some stuff to talk about, and your trip home during that time, trying to get home and stuff. If you could talk a little bit about that time. Yeah, I mean, COVID obviously it was a, you know, a, a hard time for everybody, and so when it hit, uh, well, it actually forced me to end my career because mm-hmm. we were in the middle of the season. Uh, you know, February we go to the Italian Cup, which I mentioned, we're in it, we're playing, and then a week later, it's you know, essentially the world shut down. And you know, where I lived was not just Italy, but the city was uh, like had the was the epicenter of the virus behind Wuhan. Uh, mm-hmm. so it was the second, and it was, it was like scenes from a movie. Uh, so, you know, naturally, as a as a as a father, and I'm like we got to get out of here. Like, how do we get home as quick as possible? So, we book our flight uh, six in the morning from Milan. It's they're not letting anybody out on the streets unless you have documentation that you are leaving. Um, so we're showing, you know, police officers who are all in, you know, it's, a, it's like masks and covered in white suits and. Um, you know, to get us on the highway, we're the only, only people on the highway. We get to the airport, uh, six o'clock flights, we're up at three thirty. Six o'clock flight, get there and, uh, everything on the, on the board is canceled <laughs> except for our flight. So, uh, stroke of luck, number one, <laughs> yeah, yeah. going through the line, uh, and my wife, uh, had forgot to, no, I shouldn't blame my wife, but I will. <laughs> my, my, well, I have four kids now. My second oldest daughter's passport was expired. So we're like, now, now we're, now I'm really heated because I'm thinking like, well, we're stuck here now. And if you're stuck somewhere in COVID, you know, you're stuck. I mean, yeah. you're, in, you're done. Uh, fortunately, we were dual citizens, so we could use our uh, Italian passport to get from uh, uh, Italy to Frankfurt because we're flying through Frankfurt. Mm-hmm. We got to Frankfurt, uh, went to like the U.S. embassy, which there's only a couple of them. 
thankfully we were flying through Frankfurt. If we flew through any other city, we would have never known. <laughs> this guy saw us, was uh, was incredibly generous and grateful, and pretty much uh, not for not forged documents, not right at all, but said like, as soon as you land, we're going to make it expire the next day. Mm. As soon as you land, you just got to go and take care of this. Like, and uh, we ended up getting to, uh, we're in Frankfurt. We get to the, the gate at, uh, in Frankfurt. And it's like, uh, at this point, I'm, and Joe knows who I am. My personality is, uh, I'm, I'm not happy. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm very anxious. I'm like, oh, we need to get out of here. My wife is, knows, she can sense I'm not happy. And she's feeling upset because she knew she made a mistake. Uh, which we didn't know we were leaving that quickly, but right, right. Uh, so we get to the line, and I'm like, just see how much, like, see what the first class, like, let's just upgrade. I just want to have a ten hour flight home, and it was like we upgraded to first class, and it was extremely cheap. I'm like, this is the greatest thing ever. <laughs> but then we landed in uh, in Chicago, and and we're expecting like to get uh, a quarantine. So mm-hmm. you're gonna have to take all your stuff. You're gonna have to go to a hotel for two weeks. Uh, it's gonna be a shit show. It was the quickest we ever went through customs. <laughs> like ten minutes, and we were out, and and we're like, I'm like, God, we got to show, we got, we're gonna have to show yeah. exactly yeah. where we're coming from, and this yeah. is like the worst place in the world. Yep. Quickest we went through, we get to my in laws' house, who lives next to O'Hare, and like four hours later is when Trump closed everything. The lines in <laughs> O'Hare the next days were like sixteen hours to get through customs. Wow. And I had three kids. It would have been the worst. So we we hit every sort of luck you could ever imagine to get back home. We ended up making back to Milwaukee. Uh obviously quarantined for for uh well everyone was kind of quarantined. Everyone right. was but yeah. uh we made it back and it was such a relief because it was uh it was straight out of a movie when we were in Italy. It was uh it wasn't good at all. And uh but yeah, COVID I think affected people you know, affected everyone in some sort of way. Uh, ended my career a little prematurely, but um, you know, it is what it is. Uh, knowing who he is, <laughs> when I knew he was back home, this is when it. This is when, like, I, I thought it maybe he had one or two more years left. You know, every time he came home, we we do a little workouts here and there at Homestead, do a little thing just to keep him going. Um, he's one of those guys. As he's got older, he didn't really need to do much in the summer because <laughs> he kind of knew his body knew what he needed to do he's always been like that it's like certain people have to work extra hard to like <laughs> you know he was one of those like ah, let's put 10 pounds on there i'm good <laughs> you know he, that's just his body you know he knows his old body so we, when he <laughs> we finally get home i think he's at home for maybe a week or two before he he gets extremely bored he's like you know um we're at the old ap you know, um, in a warehouse. Um, so we're sneaking in there trying to play two on two, three on three. Um, and so I'm just hitting them up like, all right, man, like let's, let's start playing. Let's figure out a couple guys. And we had like a quarantine group. So it was just the same six, eight. It wasn't like new people like we do now. It was like the same group of six, eight guys that (laughs) we knew where you were at last night and what you were doing. So we stayed, you know, with those same six, eight guys. And, you know, I think that, we we both needed that. We we we're both like creatures of habit, you know. And you need that outlet. Um, one, I need to get the hell out of the house, you know. Uh, <laughs> uh, so it, we we needed that moment, um, and I think that that kind of helped us bond more um, with you know figuring out workouts. We were doing Zoom workouts with the kids. Uh, he'd come over to my house. I go over to his house and do Zoom workouts and figure out workout plans to do with people. We go to other people's houses and do workouts with them. Um, so, you know, during that time period, that's his, you know, prematurely second retirement. So it was more so trying to figure out what's next, you know, while the country is still shut down, <laughs> we're trying to figure out how to, you know, keep evolving and keep the kids going and keep ourselves going. Um, so w- we have all these workouts, zoom workouts. Um, and it was just, you know, inspiring to see that, you know, uh, all these kids and all these parents, um, they still wanted their kids to do something. So um, Travis played a big role in that of getting the kids going. And and I think it kind of led him to this next path that we're both on now um, of training and, you know, uh, coaching and, and doing different things. So I think it started during COVID how 
you know, one ble- one one thing that happened out of there is we all got better at, you know, what we wanted to do after, you know, the game of basketball. So your basketball career is over. Did you then go right away to Marquette? Because uh, you coached there for a while too, right? Yeah, I went there, but that was that was before COVID. So oh, okay. this was uh, 2015 to 14 to 17. And yep. then I went back and played from 18 to 20. And then COVID shut it down. And uh, since COVID, which was what, almost four years ago already? Yeah. Just about. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, started getting to this lane of uh, of training um, uh, selfishly with my kids getting older and they're into basketball. You know, a chance to be around them. Obviously, I coached uh, two of them yeah. for CBA, and uh, you know, just you, know, you have to do something. And for me, it's so it's going to be basketball one way or another, and uh, to stay in, in the gym and have an impact, a small impact on on kids and coach them, train them, try to help them, try to, you know, give them uh, some information, some knowledge of what I've gone through and what you can expect, uh, I think is uh, invaluable because I've had people that have helped me along the way and I don't have the career I have without uh, without coaches, parents, teammates. Uh, you know, I think every person that's been successful in everything, you need you need a lot of people around you that are steering you the right way. Joe, Joe talks about the village. Um, CBA what how did that work with your relationship between each other um because I know he was a trainer for you now he's by himself but he was a CBA trainer and stuff how did you guys get together and start yeah it started during COVID Uh, I think that's that's when it all started with with like a game plan of what you know um he kind of saw I I think you're on staff at Marquette he kind of saw what I was um getting into um the lane that I was getting into um and you know and I think that was something that he wanted to, uh, you wanted to do, you know, once his playing days was over. So, uh, this kind of forced our hand, you know, more as like, all right, let's, let's start this thing now, um, of getting, of getting you going with training girls, training guys. It was just like, you know, um, coming up with a game plan of like, what's next. And I think COVID kind of, you know, made us do that because previously we, we saw each other every summer because we had TBT, which we're going to dive into a little bit. Um, but, uh, with TBT, uh, Trav was actually coaching us, um, him and Wes Matthews, and I was playing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then that kind of flipped and reversed, you know, uh, the year before COVID. I think I first took over coaching um, TBT uh, from those guys. And we were successful when I played. We went to a few, you know, final eight games, we 16s. We are always one of the top teams when we played. Uh, in the first couple years too so it was just funny to see the transition of um, coaching uh, uh, training you know some of those kids we used to train used to come to our games in Chicago our finals games so it became something that like okay now I I can see him really diving into this because it's one he's going to be in the gym anyway you it's just what he does but um, secondly um, just seeing the passion of um, seeing people grow and get better. Um, it's just, that's the part of the village that we're accustomed to. You're a, a parent coach. Um, we talked a little bit um, about how we had a segment on the parents, the good, the bad, the ugly uh, a while back and how parents are so out of control. Um, some parent coaches are really out of control. I found it uh, pretty cool when I watched like Steve Novak coaches kid, you know, his kid is just another player on the floor. There's no peripheral treatment. Um, talk a little bit about coaching your daughters and how you approach that. You know, you, you're at the highest level there was, and now you're coaching your daughters. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think I have a little, uh, you know, I can relate because I know how it's been because my uncle coached uh, his sons in high school, coached his nephew, he coached nephews in high school, uh, so I think there's a way that has to, it has to go, and can you almost have to be the exact opposite of you know favoring your own child. You almost have mm-hmm. to be a lot harder on on him or her, um, and maybe that's not beneficial for my. You know, I'm learning this. It's not maybe as beneficial for my daughter because um, I am a little maybe at times too hard on her, um, 
and maybe she's not ready for that yet. So it's 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 tricky. It's it's not easy for sure because it's uh you're a father first, um, yeah. and you want what's best for her on the basketball court, but you also have you know you have nine ten other girls out there, and your number one responsibility is to uh, grow each and every one of them. And uh, I think I have a pretty good balance. So I have a vision of how I want to do it. And I think I, I think for the nine or 10 other girls, I do a pretty good job. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the one who's my own daughter that maybe at times it's, uh, it's very difficult for both of us. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I, I've taken a step back during the winter uh, season here with HBC and, and kind of just in a, in a fan or a dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then obviously in the spring or summer with CBA, I, I take a more, uh, well, I'm the head coach. So, uh, but it is challenging. I think you have to be hard on your, your kids. I think you have to, uh, show them and, and, and make sure they understand, look, this is, the, there's a reason I have to be harder on you. The expectations higher because you are my daughter. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to expect more out of you than anybody else. First, second, like I can't give, I can't just give you things. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't, it's if, if parents do that, uh, I don't think that's the right message. Um, and then obviously you see parents that go way overboard on, on things. I mean, we're ultimately we're talking about uh, 10, 11, 12 year old mm-hmm. boys and girls basketball. It's really not as competitive I am and I, I want to win. It's not that serious. It's more so about what kind of, you know, experience these girls, for me, it's girls right now, what kind of experience these girls will have in high school. So to build that from now until high school, I think it's more important than, you know, winning a uh, a uh, AU tournament in <laughs> April. Uh, so, but most people can't understand that, and it, it's hard for them in the moment to not be emotional. And I, I think I do a really good job of understanding what's important and what's not. Uh, yeah. I think the hardest part for me is just coaching my daughters because at times it, it becomes uh, it doesn't become good. Yeah. <laughs> well, it takes a village. And like, like we always say, the village matters. Like we, we talk about our own kids on here a lot and it's, it's just hard to coach your own kids. And, and for me, it's like, you know, I need someone else to coach my kids because the other days of the week, I maybe take them, do some shooting and stuff like that, but I need to, you know, find someone that I can trust and be like, as hard on them with a different voice that I would if I was the person that was always with them. And I think we're trying, we're finding that balance, you know, with me training Karina. Yeah, now. no, Joe's and, done. Joe's been uh, good. I send my oldest to him and I, I see her work at a different level than, than when I'm around her, because naturally if she does something even sort of wrong and I try to correct her and even in a positive way, she's just not going to listen Right. No way. Because I'm dad. Yeah. Dad. Uh, exactly. <laughs> she yeah. might think I'm picking on her. Uh, but when I see her, you know, working with Joe and uh, I'm on the other floor and looking over, she's, she works hard and uh, I like who she is as a player more so than at times when I'm coaching her, you know, just because you know, I'm, she's just going to roll her out. I mean, it's 12, year, it's 11 year old little girl. She uh, isn't going to listen too much to what I have to say. <laughs> right. But I think that's the balance that we all <clears throat> are searching for, for like all of our kids who's, uh, as fortunate enough to be playing you know, the sport that we grew up in is what are the lessons and values you're trying to teach them more so than the wins and losses? Like, um, this has shaped our whole life, you know, and we want, you know, some sort of that to shape them, you know, to be whoever they're going to be later. So, you know, that's why that village, you know, matters and coaching, uh, it really matters in that. But I know we want to talk about TVT. Yeah, I was going to say, you, uh, walk in, you walk into the gym here and there's a <laughs> there's a banner on the wall of a championship and someone made a big shot there to win that championship. <laughs> talk a little bit about that. Yeah, let's, let's start let's, from the yeah, we gotta trip start. over there. Oh, oh God, or no, yeah, the Scooby-Doo van to get down there. Uh, no, we're, we're uh, but... The year before, it, it really starts the year before of going through that moment of not winning the the title that year. Uh, that's when it that bubble really happened. That was fun for us. Um, I think if we would have won that year, I don't think we would have played the next year because it was COVID and you know it was whatever. Uh, but I think because we did we we lost in the finals, it was a point of emphasis for everybody to come back and like let's try it again. Um, and losing in the finals, I mean, it was um, it was emotional because the confetti was coming down and you're leaving the court. And you're like, damn, you know, we all have lost some a game is part of it. Um, but in that moment, 
when you're adults now, it, it's it's a little bit different because a lot of us don't know if we're going to be coaching again or playing again. We're all older, you know, so you, you kind of grasp the moment a little bit more because you don't know um, when the last time you're going to see these guys or be in this type of moment. Um, and coaching um, adults is way different than coaching kids. And, you know, it's by playing in TBT, it helped me try to figure out how to coach it because that's a different battle. Um, you're, you're managing, you know, 10 to 12 egos on the court who's been um, very successful in whatever lanes they've been in, whether it's NBA or high level Europe. Um, so you're trying to manage that as a, as a coach, uh, which is tricky because you're managing people your age that you play with. You're managing people who was all time leading scores, uh, who had better careers than you. So you're trying to like put it all together to make them feel like every role matters. And, um, that's when leadership comes in. Uh, and that was one of the best things that happened to our TBT team, um, was COVID because we got two or three weeks in before, um, we, we left and we, we started to come together, um, a little bit and having Travis, the leader, the veteran, um, the guy who played, you know, overseas NBA long time, they all respected him for his career that he had. So it was more so you needed a guy like that. And I kind of added him without him knowing. <laughs> we always talked about it, but we didn't know where you're going to actually, you know, uh, go through it all. And I think he was like golfing or something and it got announced because it kept asking me like, all right, is that it? Is Travis playing? I'm like, dude, this, this Adam on the team. <laughs> and it kind of went from there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think Joe hit it on the head. It, uh, played the year before in Chicago and, uh, you know, when you lose it again, it's it gets very it gets very emotional in the locker room afterwards. And there's Joe said there's ten to twelve egos, and everyone thinks they're a lot better than they are. And uh, you know, to manage that, and Joe's close closer with certain players than he has other players, but he's the coach, so it's it's hard, and it's it's a hard job for Joe. Um, so then the following year, like he said, I didn't I didn't really know. Every year for me is uh, up in the air because. It is a commitment, and if you want to have a chance to win, you know you're going to have to spend, you know, three four weeks getting ready. I'm going to have to be in shape uh, because at that point, uh, well, at that point, I just I had finished playing, but COVID had hit, so it had been like four or five months off because I hadn't played since February, and I knew I wasn't going back to Italy. So it's like, do I want to put my body through trying to get ready, trying to get ready for uh, some minutes here and there? And uh, so yeah, I was golfing and. I was getting blown up that I was playing again. Uh, I think I I think I knew I was going to play, so it wasn't like I was mad about it. And, and Joe knew, or Joe would have never, yeah. I think, gave the thumbs up because I never told him, "Don't ever put me on the roster." Yeah. But then you go through the that experience, and I think, uh, and I've told Joe this personally, and I think Joe did a much better job the year we won it than the year before. And yeah. obviously, it was a different roster, but yeah. I think Joe became more or less. Uh, caring about how people felt about him in the moment. Uh, and naturally, I, you know, my message to the guys was, look, you guys aren't like, I was always very realistic with who I was as a player. I knew I wasn't the same type of player I was when I was 30. So, and, you know, if I come in there for a few minutes here and there, knock down some shots, move the ball, that's my role. Here, uh, Darius, this is your role. You might not start, but, you know, we're going to need you to do this, this, and that, or whoever it is. Yep. And, and it's, it's, I think it's important just to be up front early because uh, then they can't say, well, you didn't tell me this or you didn't tell me that. No, I, I told you this was your role. And yep. ultimately, basketball, you know, you have to accept the role you're in. And uh, as you get older, though, that role might diminish. Uh, as you're going through your career, it might grow, but it's on you to, or it's on the coaches and you to, to determine that. So uh, that was a moment uh, in our lives that was, uh, uh, very hard because it was COVID and the, the world had shut down. And But that gave us a release, and we got to go to the hotel and hang out and be around each other. And then to win uh, was the icing on the cake. And, you know, I tell people all the time, you know, you go in, in basketball or you're in life and in any sort of business, life's all about these these moments that you can go back to, good or bad. For me, fortunately, and I think for, for Joe, it, a lot of these moments are so good that, Know, you're you're putting time and just know that like this was a lot of fun and got a chance to do something that we've been working for for years. It just uh, never resulted in the championship, but uh, to get that one was uh, was a lot of fun. Yeah, and like to to dive into that 
you know, a little bit more. Uh, if it was a two weeks, you're in a hotel, you know, like you're, you're 18, but you're really 35, you know, so you're, 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 you're playing video games all day. You're water balloon fights. You're, you know, no, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> and it's a lot more, there's a lot of drinking yeah, <laughs> um, because you're, you're playing and then you don't play for like three or four days. We're in the, we're in the bubble for you know, an extended period of time and you're not allowed to mingle with any other teams, no players. So it's essentially us 14 guys in our, you know, our blocked off floor of the hotel or yeah. in the conference room that they designate for our team. So it's a lot like Joe said, I mean, it's, it's guys being kids. It's yeah. telling stories. It's the fret party. Or- yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, yeah. it's, you're getting, you're going down to the, the yeah. gift store and getting a case of beer. Uh, yeah. Instacart. We're trying to Instacart wine like, in. I mean, <laughs> it sounds bad, but like, but that's what you do on sports teams. That's the, that's, that's why you play the bond. It's, yeah. Yeah. it's why we probably won. Yeah, uh, we were connected. We were tighter. We were having yeah. a great time. I, I mean, we were down there in those conference rooms. We didn't see many other teams down there hanging out uh, yeah. as a team. Yeah, uh, but you know, we had fun. Uh, a lot of fun. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but winning makes it all fun too. Like we could easily lost the first game and been on our way back in the van back home, but yep, kept winning. Kept. Uh, believing that this was our year and i think you know i remember talking to the team before the night before the game and i was like this you know the year before we weren't right mm-hmm. uh, internally our team but we didn't deserve to win i yep. really felt truthfully that that year we deserved to win by how we had prepared how we had uh treated each other and i think the uh the basketball gods were shining down on us because we deserved it that year yeah yeah, and, and that's that's a testament to the leadership we had with Trav, uh, the coaching, the the players buying into their roles. Um, every game was different, and and you can go back and look at every game and say someone made a different play or different moment in every game that made us win. And there was moments where people didn't play as much as they wanted to the day before. Um, we had time to embrace each other. It wasn't you go back to your families or hear from somebody else is like no you. You, you either lock yourself in that room or you can come out and, and be a part of, you know, what we're doing because um, you only had each other, you know, go through that. So that moment, um, it, it was just like the pinnacle of like the basketball, you know, for TBT um, wise. And for all of us, I think as former players is we miss being a part of a team the most. And I, not the wins, losses, you miss the 10, 12 guys. It's a, crack jokes around and, you know, have fun and be yourself and, um, and just laugh. And, you know, uh, that's the part you miss when you're done playing, you know, more so than the win losses or whatever. Um, and I think, you know, in that moment of of coaching, you know, you, you, you create a bond that's forever with those guys and they all got their different lanes that they go back to that group. We still talk and, you know, text today. And I think those, that's how Trav said it earlier. Those teams make it special because we're still on group chats together and do different things. That's how you know that you're a part of something that was really good. Um, moving forward here, um, why you could probably do whatever you want, right? You could get into college probably and coach. You could do whatever. Why youth? Why youth basketball right now? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a good question. Uh, have had opportunities to to do different things, but you know, selfishly, like I said before, it's, it's about, I think my own kids and, and watching them develop. And I think at some, not at some point, they're going to grow and, and get older and be out of the house and have their own, uh, journey to, to pursue. And, and then maybe I'll, I'll do something different, but for the time being, I'm, I'm excited about, uh, you know, what we got going on here, uh, coaching my kids with, with, with Joe and, and being, uh, involved that way. Um, you know, I, I never thought I'd be this uh, heavily involved in, in girls' youth basketball, but that's how it's gone for me with having my own kids, and I enjoy it. Uh, I think there's a certain level of focus and discipline with with girls. I almost, think they're more coachable. Well, they are for sure. Oh, yeah. Almost too much, actually. Yeah. Almost too, like, if I, tell to the you go, if I tell you to go from point A to point B, they're directly going to point B. Oh, yeah. Uh, so we got to teach them how to kind of uh, – you know, not be so robotic, but, uh, you know, any young kid, you just see the, you put yourself back to when you were that age and the joy and the pureness of it all. And, uh, you don't find that even in high school kids, 
you know, they get, they get kind of cool. They don't talk. Mm -hmm. Uh, the joy kind of just kind of dissipates as you get older and that should never happen. I always Mm -hmm. felt like I played with a lot of anger, but I I also had, there was a lot of joy in it. If you can't, you can't lose the passion, the joy. And if you watch you guys, you guys are all in the gym and you watch Mm -hmm. these nine, eight, nine, 10 year olds, they're hard to to deal with because it's Mm -hmm. a lot of babysitting, (laughs) but you can see there is just so much joy in it. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so that's what I love about it. Um, and uh, to see my kids have joy in it, uh, I think that's uh, incredibly incredibly important for me right now at this stage of my life. And I'm in no hurry to uh, go on to something new because I know the next thing I do will be probably uh, very highly competitive and and, and make me uh, make me maybe angrier than. I want to <laughs> <laughs> but I want to just talk about that joy because uh, you're not only bringing joy to you know, your kids. And it's, it's just so many kids that I've seen that you're a part of their village now where they started, you know, at eight, nine, 10 with that joy and that, that life. And they go through the journey, you know, they have those highs and lows and, and see someone who made the 1% of the NBA and they can relate to and talk to and, and you get them back on that path where they need to go. Um, that's part of the joy too, that, uh, you know, some of us had, some of us didn't have is that mentor, that, that leader to say, no, you know, let's get you back on a path, um, that you, that you had when you're nine, 10, 11, you know, cause some kids fall off, they get back on, but just to see, um, that commitment that you're doing to, you know, the game of basketball, to the girls and the guys, um, you know, with the KKs, the Madisons, the, all those girls that, you know, you, you've, um, made them better leaders, better players. Um, they all had that joy at a young age and you kept that joy going, you know, and that's, that's something that you want, you know, but that's hard to do when you've reached the level that you have to come back down, to do it all over again. Um, you know, I see him at games. I, you know, I watch a lot of games. I see him at games and he's, he's actively involved in, not just his kids, but other people's kids. Um, and I think that's a testament to um, how he was raised, but also what he's trying to do for his own kids. Um, so everyone inside of this village that he's bringing joy back to, I think it's going to be good for them as they get older too. I, th- I think it's pretty amazing. You can come here at any time and you're here in the gym, either working with kids during tournaments, you're working concessions, <laughs> you know, it, it's pretty, pretty amazing. I mean, it's, it's a, uh... It's just part of the experience, I think, for for people. Uh, and for me, it's, I mean, I've grown up, and like I said, I'm, from the very beginning, I was a water boy for my, my uncle. Uh, so being in the gym, doing that sort of stuff, uh, it sounds corny, but you you walk in and you smell the popcorn or you go to a high mm-hmm. school game and uh, you're watching girls who you train. And uh, I think being, you know, the number one thing my parents did for me was they were really hard on me, but they were, they're always present and not everybody has that. Right. Uh, I don't think Joe had that. Right. Uh, so I think if I can be a presence for my own kids first, that's incredibly important. No matter how hard I am on them, they always know that I'll be there. And then for the people that I train, not to just for them to come into the gym and I'm collecting money from their parents, but to actually go out and show that I care about uh, their success or, or their failures, mm-hmm. probably more so than their failures because they're mm-hmm. going to fail a lot, just to be there uh, to show that I care more so than just, okay, do a couple, two dribble right pull up and then, all right, okay, good good workout, see you later. But yep. to actually go to, you know, and I see Joe at all the games too, uh, to go to a lot of the homestead games because that's where, you know, a lot of my training does or, or go watch KK when she was playing or whoever, it doesn't even matter. Uh, I think it's incredibly important for their development and to see that, okay, well, he's actually, you know, he has a family, he has kids, he could be doing anything else, but he's bringing his kids to watch me perform and, mm-hmm. and, and deal with it. I think it's important to, to show a presence uh, rather than just work them out all the time or train them. Uh, in closing here, because I know you got some stuff you got to get going to, uh, one good Joe Chapman college story. Oh, it's a lot of bad. So, <laughs> uh, Joe was no, Joe was always, uh, uh, I'll start with very, uh, he was young. So, with, with young is well, young in age, but young in heart, uh, immature at times, always funny. But you know, I, I always respected Joe on the court because. 
I had a lot of success in in open gyms and in pickup games because I always got to pick my team. And it wasn't <laughs> naturally like the most talented guys, but I always take Joe because Joe would always do the little things that would help me be better and people might not notice it. But without guys like like Joe or uh, Chris Grimm or Terry Sanders, the guys that kind of mold the team together, I don't have the career I have at all. And everyone will talk about Dwayne. Obviously, Dwayne's one of the best players of all time, or Steve because his ability to shoot. But, you know, Joe is a guy that uh, in practice and pickup games and open gym would, would do the dirty work, would not very athletic, but would take a charge, uh, grab a loose ball, get a rebound, knock down an open shot. And, uh, you know, there's always so much value in that. And if you come and watch us play now uh, and we construct our teams, we're going to take – those types of players over the most talented players because mm-hmm. of our knowledge, because uh, just there's a way to win basketball games. So that's what I always respect about Joe is his commitment to winning, uh, his unselfishness, uh, um, and his his uh, lack of lack of arrogance on the court. Did he have an ego? Of course, but there was no arrogance about that. And mm-hmm. anyone you play at that level, you have to have a level of uh, yeah, I belong. I'm good enough but you can't be arrogant about it, and he never was. So uh, with Joe, it was always so easy to play with, be around, because he uh, he's still young mm-hmm. at in age and at, at heart. He's, he's obviously can tell a lot of jokes uh, and fun to be around, but when it comes to competing, and, and, and there's a guy that I would always you know go to battle with no matter what. Oh, well, that's pretty awesome. Thank you very much for sitting down with us and talking this. Very, very good. No, Appreciate thanks for having it. me. It was fun. Yeah. Okay. Um, before we go real quick, uh, I know we don't have a lot of time, but player of the week, uh, I want to shout out to Michael McNabb breaking the all time record boys and girls now over at Grafton. So. Yeah. He's at 1700 something points. Now he's, he might get to 2000 points, which would be incredible. Um, for any kid to get to 2000 points is unbelievable. So yeah, big shout out to him. No, there's a big double header coming up on Thursday. Uh, yeah, Homestead Cedarburg actually uh Cedarburg won that game last night when Michael yep, against yep, Grafton. Yep. So it's a doubleheader, Cedarburg girls and uh Homestead girls and then following by Homestead Cedarburg boys at Homestead. So All right, thanks everybody. Appreciate it. Hope you enjoyed it. Have a good day.